I understand it's impossible to make Russia give up the territory completely, that it will lead to World War III. Yes, this is a compromise indeed. Come back to where it all started and we'll try to resolve the question of the Donbass. For the last few days, we've heard ideas from both sides about how to lower the temperature and possibly put an end to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The head of Ukraine's military intelligence is now warning that President Putin could be looking to carve this country in two, something like North and South Korea. Well, on Tuesday, negotiators met in Istanbul, Turkey, to talk things over face-to-face. And those negotiations may, and I want to stress may, have yielded some signs of progress. The Kremlin announcing it will drastically reduce military activity around the capital, Kyiv, and in the Cherniv area in northern Ukraine, up near the Russian border. Now, many sticking points remain, and experts warn that peace may still be a long way off, especially given Russia's dubious track record. But after more than a month of fighting to defend, and in some cases take back, their cities, the Ukrainian people are desperate for results. In today's episode, I talk with CNN senior national security correspondent Alex Marquardt about the state of negotiations, how the White House is handling an off-the-cuff remark about regime change, and the lengths some Russian families are going to get news about their loved ones on the battlefield. From CNN, this is Tug of War. I'm David Ryan. Alex, we're talking on Tuesday morning, and representatives from Ukraine and Russia just wrapped up talks in Istanbul. Was there any progress made out of those? I think, you know, after these several rounds of talks that we've seen, this one has actually yielded the most uh, results so far. Now, that isn't saying much because the last few rounds uh, didn't really result in, in any real progress. Right. But what we're hearing out of Istanbul is, is positive sounds from both uh, the Ukrainian and the Russian sides. Now, we have heard from Secretary of State Tony Blinken as well, who is uh, very cautious and has been cautious uh, throughout this process, saying this isn't necessarily about what, what Russia says, but about what Russia does. Um, but Turkey's foreign minister, who was hosting these talks uh, has said that uh, that there was consensus and common understanding and that the most meaningful progress uh, in negotiations has been made. Um, on the Ukrainian side, we have heard representatives from that delegation sort of ticking through uh, the major points uh, that we expect to be part of, of these negotiations and, and any uh, final peace settlement that would end this war. Yeah. So what are the sticking points here? We've heard Ukraine and President Zelensky talk about being neutral and non-nuclear. What exactly does that mean? Like, what does neutrality look like in practice? Well, it's a terrific question. And as you know, at the core of this conflict, at least from the Russian side, is this uh, question of whether Ukraine should be allowed to join NATO. And Russia has said that that is a red line for them. They don't want their neighbor to join NATO. They don't want NATO to creep closer and closer to their borders. And so what President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine has now said is that they are willing to be neutral. They're willing to be non-nuclear, as you said. Now, they don't have any nuclear weapons as it stands. They, they gave those up years ago. 
Um, and so what neutrality would mean is that they would agree essentially to not join NATO, which frankly wasn't going to happen anyway. It's not like NATO is, is wanting them to, to join as quickly as possible. That's not the case. And so uh, the neutrality that, that they would uh, that they would look to have would be basically they would still have a, a standing military, but their security would be guaranteed by other countries. And so we did hear from a, a an advisor to President Zelensky saying that this would be akin to something like NATO's Article 5. So if uh, Ukraine were to be attacked, that other countries would come to their aid. Uh, and in fact, they, they've already listed the countries that they would look to have uh, guaranteeing their security. So it would be the five permanent members of the UN Security Council, Turkey, Germany, Canada, uh, Italy, Poland, and Israel. Now, this is far, far from a done deal. But what Ukraine would like, uh, just in terms of this neutrality, if they're going to be neutral, is uh, an international treaty that would be ratified. And once the terms are, are settled, um, they would take those terms to the Ukrainian people, hold a referendum, ask Ukrainians to vote on it and agree to it. But I guess if you're Russia, you know, having countries being pledged to kind of come to Ukraine's defense, doesn't that kind of sound like NATO in, in practice? Like what what is the, the difference here? Absolutely. And, and that is going to be one of the complicating factors. And in fact, this uh, Zelensky advisor, the member of the delegation said um, that this would be stronger than an Article 5. Huh. And so that's that's where you're definitely going to see uh, Russia, you know, pushing back. And, and remember, they are, of course, one of the permanent members of, of the Security Council. Um, so this is this is Ukraine, you know, putting uh, putting forward their big ask. Um, and now, you know, the negotiations really have to 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 get underway. Um, now, keep in mind, Russia is in control of a large part of Ukraine. Um, and so Russia is also going to be making some major asks of Ukraine in terms of recognition of, of those territories as well. Yeah, that, and that seems significant. So, you know, we've seen Russia say they're going to draw back their military in certain parts of the country, but they still hold other parts of the country. And, you know, just last weekend we saw they say, oh, we're shifting things east. But then we saw strikes in Lviv in the west. So how can, you know— the world take Russia seriously at this point in terms of promises as these talks continue? We, we have to take everything with a very large grain of salt. Uh, you'll remember that just a few days before the Russian invasion started, they claimed that they were drawing back their troops. Yeah. They were pulling out of Crimea. They were pulling back from the Ukrainian border. Uh, that, of course, uh, was not true. Uh, they, they very quickly uh, invaded soon after that. Before the war started, we have long thought that one of the main goals for Russia was to create what we've been calling a land bridge, mm. uh, which is to connect the Crimea, the Crimean Peninsula, which, of course, Russia seized back in 2014 from Ukraine. Uh, no one has recognized Crimean territory as, as being Russian, uh, but that would be one of the demands that the Russians would make. So this land bridge would connect Crimea with those other breakaway republics, as they call themselves, in eastern Ukraine, in the Donbass. They are Luhansk and Donetsk, um, as well as western Russia. So you would have this strip of territory uh, that is all but taken right now by the Russians. Uh, in fact, the, the only holdout is Mariupol, this city uh, on the Sea of Azov that we 
we've talked about so much because it has absolutely been pummeled absolutely been shattered by Russian forces over the past few weeks, uh, resulting in thousands of civilian deaths. And the reason that that has come under such uh, fierce fighting and fierce a, a targeting is because Russia does want to, to, to create that land bridge. And so um, there is some thinking that when that land is seized and Russia is in control of that large swath, um, that then the talks will really start in earnest and, and Russia will you know, demand recognition, not just of Crimea as being Russian territory, but some kind of independence of those breakaway republics. So is there a sense then that this can only end with a slice of Ukraine, those breakaway republics in Crimea belong to Russia and, and they've got that and they've kind of sliced that off? Is, is that how this kind of ends? Well, we need to see what happens right now. And you have the Russians, the Ukrainians, and the Americans all indicating that there is a shift in tactics by the Russian forces. Uh, you have the, the Russians themselves uh, saying in, in, in a very broad way with not much detail that they are planning on turning their efforts away from the northern part of Ukraine uh, for away from Kiev, the capital, which we have thought that they wanted to encircle uh, in order to replace the government. They, of course, have failed in that and, and failed quite uh, startlingly. It has been really remarkable to watch the Ukrainian forces defend their capital. Um, the Russians are also saying that they're turning away from Cherniev, which is uh, north of, of Kiev um, and has come under some of the fiercest bombardment there as well, with, with also thousands uh, of people who, who have been feared dead. Um, so whether they're doing this as the Russians claim because their, their, their goal from the, from the get-go was the east and the south, or whether they're doing this um, because of uh, the, the fierce resistance that we've seen from the Ukrainians, um, that really is a major question. But the discussion is really going to be um, about that land in the south and in the east that you're talking about and um, what level of control um, the, the, the Ukrainians and the Russians are going to exert over that. And what is interesting, what's coming out of Turkey now, is a recognition from the Ukrainians that this is going to take years. In fact, they're saying uh, that they have agreed that the status of Crimea, the peninsula, will not be discussed uh, for about 15 years years. Oh, wow. So that is essentially them kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a long time. Um, can we talk about President Biden here? Because over the weekend, he made those comments uh, in Poland. So this was at the end of what had been seen as a pretty successful visit by President Biden to Europe. He had a NATO summit in Brussels. He gave this big speech in Warsaw. We stand with you. Period. Everything had gone well, and then President Biden essentially decided to ad-lib at the end of his speech and say, For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. Now, the problem with that is that the U.S. has not said that their goal in all of this is regime change to replace President Putin. Right. Um, that would take things one step much Further, the U.S. is not looking here to to replace President Putin, at least explicitly. They have said uh, that that is, of course, up to the Russian people. Now, the problem with that is, of course, uh, Russia is not a democracy. Russian, the Russian people do not uh, make up; uh, they do not decide who their 
who their leader is. Yeah. Um, and so the, the White House has tried to walk this back. I just it was expressing my outrage. He shouldn't remain in power. Just like, you know, bad people shouldn't continue to do bad things. But it doesn't mean we have a fundamental policy to do anything to take Putin down in any way. But there's no question that the sanctions, the unprecedented sanctions that they have placed on Russia are designed to weaken Russia, uh, are designed uh, to uh, frustrate not just the Russian leadership, uh, but also have an impact on the Russian people. Uh, in order to, at least in the short term, influence uh, the, the Russian leadership uh, and, and President Putin in particular uh, to pull out of Ukraine. So while uh, the U.S. may not have an explicit policy of regime change, um, these are certainly, as we know, targeting President Putin himself, his entire regime, and having a major impact uh, on Russia. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, Alex, you were in Ukraine for weeks as the invasion began, reporting on the realities for Ukrainian and Russian soldiers. Can you tell me about this hotline that the Ukrainian government set up? Yeah. So we did a story while we were in Ukraine about uh, a hotline that the Ukrainian Interior Ministry uh, had set up. And it was essentially a, a, a project in order to allow Russian families who did not have contact with their sons who were believed to be fighting in Ukraine because we believed and we've been told that so Russian soldiers had not been allowed to contact their families. Is the Russian Ministry of Defense telling anything to the family? Um, family is trying to um, not get contacted by anybody just because everyone is, is afraid of a law enforcement agency is tracking them. And so you had all these Russian relatives around the world, not just in Russia, calling into this Ukrainian hotline saying, do you have any information about our Russian soldier? Hello. Is this where one can find out if someone is alive? Hello. Do you have any information about my husband? Now, the vast majority of these cases, we understand, did not result in information going to the Russian relatives. Um, but what it also allowed the Ukrainians to do was to say, hey, this is the reality of what's going on here. This is a brutal war that was, you know, completely unprovoked. So we will help you try to find your son here in Ukraine. And if we have any information, we'll call you back. But in the meantime, 
we would like you to go out and protest. Mm -hmm. We would like you to go out and tell your family and your neighbors the truth of what's going on here. Because as you know, uh, there is uh, a huge issue right now with Russians getting uh, the actual uh, truth of what's going on. This is kind of the information war part of this. This is the information war. I mean, I think there are two information wars. One part of the information war is the PR war. And very quickly, Russia lost that because Mm -hmm. uh, Ukraine was able to show the reality of what was going on um, in Ukraine. And it it was ugly. It was horrific. And the other part of the information war is internally in Russia, where you already had a situation where the the state controlled the vast majority uh, of the information flow, whether it was newspapers or or broadcast radio and TV. Um, But that has become just increasingly the case in the past few weeks with the Russian government just shutting down uh, any form of of independent media. So uh, you have a, a situation in which the Russian people are just being fed uh, lies. Uh, I've spoken with uh, Russians who live here in the U.S. who have cousins fighting in Ukraine who speak with their relatives in Russia and the, the, the ones who live here in the U.S. are being told by their Russian family members in Russia that they're the ones who have been brainwashed. It, it's a scary situation in which you know hundreds of millions of Russians are being served up uh, lies, uh, not just about uh, the war in Ukraine, but a, a whole variety of issues on a daily basis. Right. Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. That's it for us today. Thanks for listening. But remember, we'll have new episodes of this podcast for you every Sunday and Wednesday. And for real-time updates on the war, you can subscribe to CNN 5 Things wherever you listen. Tug of War is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by me, David Rind, along with Audrey Horowitz, Nathan Miller, and Paula Ortiz. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer, and Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Special thanks to Andrew Morse, Courtney Coop, Ashley Lusk, and Elizabeth Roberts. I'll talk to you next time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.